You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. I'm Roger Gaddis. And I'm Jason Wheeler. And we join you, still, from Gerard, Kansas. Our second ever on-location podcast. We're pretty excited. We got Bryce L. Nicky here with us again today. And we're we are glad to, to get down to business. So we have a few things to talk about. Wanted to, to talk a little bit about your grain trading, it, some things that have happened to you in the grain trading business less less big picture than we've talked about before and then uh and then and then talk about about the future in the grain business and so on i think we need to say here too for those just listening uh you get a little background on bryce you maybe go back and listen to the episode prior to this yeah and if you hear background and audio noises that's because we're we're recording at right, a grain elevator. Right. In case office. you think we're jumping in and don't know who this strange man is over here talking in the third mic, go back and listen to the last one. You'll know. Okay, so Bryce, I think everybody out there in listener land really wants to know is what's the most memorable moment that you've experienced in the grain business? Okay. Um, I was going to say, do you think that everybody out there in listening land want to hear that or they want to hear where the price of corn is going to go? and how incorrect the USDA is. But we'll talk about those those other ones first. Very um, nice. Yeah, segue. Um, <laughs> I rode one of those once. Yeah. That, that you would. I played a Sega once. Anyways. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog over here, also known as Bryce L. Nicky. Give us a story, Bryce. <laughs> All right. So um, a couple of things come to mind. Like in the previous podcast, we talked about that corn year, that one year where we pile it on the ground and, and then, you know, we, um, I shorted a bunch of corn one year who, that, that was a mistake, young, dumb, didn't know any better. Um, we can talk about that a little bit. Ag baggers. That's a good one. Grain bagger. Um, Nova May bean spread. That's, it was a disaster, but back, I guess on the corn. Um, so Southeast Kansas, um, in, in my short, uh, y- years as a grain merchandiser there early on out of college, it seemed like we couldn't lose a crop. Right. Um, it was just, we had a few wet years where everything was wet coming out of harvest and, you know, we didn't get done until December, January. Um, let's see, we started, I mean, really kind of got in the business in 06, 07, 08, 2009, 10, all awesome years. You know, every year felt like it was bigger than the previous year. Of course, we we're growing our business too, so it all, it's natural. Um, and those are those are high stress. So people who've been in the business for twenty five years hear that, and they're like, "Those are the highest stressed years of our life." Oh seven, oh eight. I mean, that's yeah, that's was, crazy. But you guys, I mean, where you are, you can stay short the basis a lot of the time. You, sure. You're you're sold a lot. So so the the margin calls stress. I mean, it was there for everybody, but but you guys are able to weather yeah, that. And, and just for the listeners to know that the the market that Bryce serves here in Southeast Kansas is the primarily driven by the poultry market, Northwest Arkansas, Northeast Oklahoma, Southwest Missouri. You know, that's kind of the basis driver around here, at it's least for corn. So for that's, corn. that's where that's coming from. Right. Birds right. got to eat all the time. Chickens eat every day. Um, 
And um, yeah, so corn, you're feeding that poultry market. Beans is a export thing to either the river or local processor, be it at Deerfield, Missouri, or Kansas City. And then uh, wheat, soft wheat, kind of the Missouri side, it's all soft mainly, uh, is mill market stuff, Kansas City or local ADM flour mill. Uh, hard wheat is kind of a Wichita, Catoosa, KC mill market play too. Um, but so back into these late two or I don't know two thousands, little late two thousands prior to two thousand ten, everything was great. You know, we just kept growing corn, growing corn, growing corn, more and more and more. Yeah, oh eight was tough. We had margin calls too. It was tough to get anybody to price anything. You had to be really smart in what you were doing. Um, nobody was immune to that. At least I don't know if they were. Um, so going into 2011, everything leading up to June, say, 15th was looking great. I mean, everything came up. The terrace channels grew corn. Everything looked good. Couldn't – you were getting range just every time you needed one. And then June 15th-ish, 20th, somewhere around in there, it stopped. Got hot. Got like 9,500 degree days. Um, humidity dried up. We didn't have fog. We didn't have dew. We had no humidity. Um the wind blew out of the south at 25, 30 mile an hour every day. And that corn just rolled and rolled and, and you could see the gray tent to it. And man, it sucked. You're looking out there and, you know, June 1st, if you can see three rows in a cornfield, it's dark. It's like looking good. By July 1st, you can see like 10 rows in the cornfield. And you're thinking, man, if we still get a rain. And then by July 15th, you're hearing stories of silage choppers coming in the area. You're thinking, Oh my God, is this for real? Um, leading up to that, I had sold a lot of corn, uh, because previously the best sales you could make were a few months before harvest, you know, kind of like planting time. Um, by about July 15th, the chicken guys would all chicken, Turkey guys, buyers were coming to the table, booking SEP OND, maybe JFM. And so you really wanted to have some sales out there ahead of that because they were done. And you could get out there early and kind of trade a little bit better than last year's trade sales. And we're talking like basis did not move that much. You know, it's carry market almost every year. It felt like, yeah, you had SEP D versions here and there, July SEP, whatnot. But SEP D, SEP March, SEP May, DS March, DS May, DS July, whatever, they were there. You could hit your target spreads um, or spread targets. And so we're selling. I'm, I didn't find a sell I did not like. Every You want to buy corn, I'll sell it to you. I mean, we sold it. We sold, I sold probably, well, I sold more than our capacity. I know that, twice as much as our capacity, our bin space. But we were trade had a pretty big cross-country or direct ship program. Um, and then it just dried up. You know, you're trading corn at 40 over Springdale, 40, 50 over, maybe, probably not even 50 over Springdale, 40 over Springdale. Um, actually traded some corn at 30 over spring because it used to be a 10, 10 under the D fob was your target. And that's all changed now. I mean, you wouldn't, you're buying corn there, um, or, or better. Um, so we sold a bunch and I ended up handling all in July or August. I actually started taking corn in July that year, which is bad. It's never a good sign. A little bit of corn late, late, late July. You, you were managing Overman's there. You probably mm -hmm. took more. Um, late July and August, corn harvest was in the books. September, we may have had some irrigated corn come in late, but even then it wasn't any good. We had like 15 bushel an acre dry land corn yields. Irrigated corn was maybe 70, 80 bushel. There was some 100 bushel stuff out there, but it was like, I don't know what those guys were doing to it, but they they, they got it to grow. And there, there may have been some better yields than that, but 
dryland corn averaged like 15 to 20 bushel that year. If they picked it, a lot of that stuff went for silage. Um, and so it was tough to cover those straights, you know, basis obviously took off, uh, is a localized drought. It's 2011. This wasn't 12. The one that everybody thinks about, this was 11 the year prior. Um, and I ended up buying corn in from places you can't imagine. We ran a fertilizer move to where we were picking up fertilizer at Catoosa, Oklahoma, taking it to Northeast Kansas into Nebraska and parts of Iowa even and pulling corn back South. Cause they all had a great crop. It was like, North of Kansas City, it was good. South of Kansas City, it wasn't great. South of like, I don't know, uh, maybe 100 miles, probably 70 miles south of KC, it just turned into a disaster. Went to Wichita and across and east into maybe, well, you can't go very far east, east of Joplin, it's, there's just cows, um, rocks and foothills. Um, those aren't foothills, those are the Ozarks. Um, so we um, struggled. We, I remember buying some corn in with, you know, probably short in that market at 40 over average. I paid 90 over for some corn, had to cancel some trades, did not sleep. I mean, it was miserable. The, it was bad. It was just no fun. Then you've got to go work a deal out with your local customer. So your farmer, you know, you can't, people would say you need to charge what replacement cost is. Well, you also want a long-term relationship with this guy. And that was difficult, you know, to, to eat some of that cost that the, in the basis and, and let a guy out of a contract without having to make him write you a hundred thousand dollar check or, and burn that bridge. It was difficult. Those were tough times. Um, farmers actually made more money that year, I think, because of crop insurance. We hadn't had a failure for a long huge, time. Huge return. Tons of year. money. Uh, and, and, and prices were high. You just didn't have the yield. They had the, they had the, the acres and the, and the, and the, um, whatever the insurance levels are, they, they were there. Yeah. Um, that was, that didn't, that wasn't any fun at all. I don't ever want to go through that. So, you know, part of my plan and strategy now is, yeah, we want to have short, we want to be, we, I like to trade from the short side. I think that you get, you get complacent trading in a long side, but, um, I never really had space either. We were always smaller elevator. You had half a million bushels of space and, and then, yeah, I had grain bagger out there and we'd make ground piles if we needed to, but, I was always I brought I was brought up trading from the short side and it, that keeps you sharp. You have to know the bid, you have to know the market, you got to be smart about it. Um, and in doing so, I traded too much, and it sucked. It was not fun. I mean, we were short, and it took a lot to get those things covered. We got some contract extensions. I think I filled some of that stuff in December, January, you know, like August, set corn sales. But even in spite of that being a tough year, being short. That hasn't changed your mind on being short. I mean, you realize that overall being short puts you in a better oh, position over time. No question. And it makes you a better buyer, right? Because you've sold the stuff. Now you got to go find it. Short yeah, right. and sweaty. And so I said in the first podcast that I'll try anything twice, right? So then I shorted, when, when in 2012, we shorted more corn. I thought, this isn't going to happen again. I mean, how often do you have two droughts in a row? Well, we did. Um, <laughs> and it, well, I wasn't as short, you know. Uh, but it, we we're smarter because it had some new contacts and whatnot. Um and that year was a struggle because you not only saw basis take off, but you also saw the cash price take off, um, which was it makes it easy to buy grain, right? When markets are up and things are things are going crazy and volatile, it's it's fun, you know. I would say this is what middle of July. I would say up to the last prior to the last what sixty days, this really hadn't been that much fun. Trading grain is flat market, nothing really happening. Man, the last sixty days, maybe maybe a little longer than that. It's been exciting. You know, you're seeing big swings up, down, everything. It's fun to be in the grain business. Um, 
but yeah, 2012 was tough. Made it harder on myself because um, set some some um, spreads, sell spreads to protect some DP beans, um, specifically Nov May. Um, against, I'll give you this. It was against everything that I'd been learned, been taught from White Commercial. And you know, the best company out there to treat anybody grain merchandising is is White Commercial. Um, no question, hands down. Um, that'd be the only secret in the grain business. If there is one, it's that not enough people are using white commercial, truth be told. Um, and I set some set or some Nova May bean spreads to protect us on some DP beans that we we're going to buy in the, in the deferreds. Um, it's like, I don't know, 30 cent inversion went to like 60 double down, right? Average cost type of thing. Wrong. Went to like a hundred. That's more. Went to 150. Good night. When's this going to stop? Set some more. <laughs> Got out there to where I was risking working capital and it was getting pretty hairy. And I actually, I was working for my parents, you know, part owner in this thing. And I was working on my resume also. Um, <laughs> and uh, not sleeping, you know, same thing. You wake up every night and it'd be like one o'clock. You'd be checking the markets, trying to figure out that this was. And it was a hairy deal. You know, and my dad told me, um, something he said any position's right if you have enough money and time and, he, and he's right we don't have either of those um <laughs> the hourglass is getting smaller every day um and the money just wasn't there um but ultimately things turned around we stuck with it um did not make our any worse on ourselves than, than you know, it had to be uh i learned my lesson you know didn't know like scott hardy says spreads are way more complicated than they appear and that's true people try to say oh they're easy you know, you're, the, 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 no, they're not. There's a lot more factors to spreads. You really have to be disciplined, make sense of what you're doing, um, spread your position based on purchases and sales. Don't go out there and try to spec. It's not what we do. Um, and unfortunately, I had uh, um, that was a very good lesson. I didn't learn very much in college. No offense to Dr. McKenzie, University of Arkansas, um, but I learned a whole lot more getting short corn early on in 2011 uh, selling or spreading too much in 2012 and every year you learn something you know this is nobody knows at all um but yeah man there was some really interesting times there those are we uh the the three of us we shared many a uh, phone call uh texts and emails during all that because we all three thought that that uh, bean spread was a good idea. You're all wrong. It, yeah. Here's what happened: you know, farmers don't want to DP beans in their seventeen dollars. That's what we all come to find out. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right? It is a it is a, for a basis trading elevator. You're connecting a purchase and a sale because you think, well, they're going to DP beans like they always do, and then I'm going to need a flatter inverted market to you know if I want to short the basis that helps me. And so you set it for that. And then you set more to get your average down. All of a sudden, you set a lot more maybe than usual. Yeah, and then need, also, farmers aren't DPing because it's you need bucks. fifty thousand. You come out of the whole deal with three hundred. It's kind of a it's a mess. Or yeah, or seven. Exponential I think it's actually seven hundred. And bad. me, I'm sitting there just I, I don't have a grain elevator, but I'm, I'm working with all these grain elevator guys. And I'm like, you know what? They're gonna make a bunch of money when this comes back. It's not gonna be necessarily all basis rate. It's, you could just have this spread and make most of the money they're gonna make. I'll ju- I'll do that. And so, yeah, I've, I made one futures trade in my own futures account, 
and that was all I needed to learn my lesson, and I've never traded again. You slayed the hubris monster. <laughs> Where we were yeah. mistaken is that we weren't looking, at least I'll speak for myself, I wasn't looking at spreads in light of a basis position. Right. Yeah. It That's got it. That way. Had I done that and been smart about it and disciplined, it wouldn't have happened. We were looking at it because it got to 40-something inverted, and that was a historical inversion sure. for that spread. Yeah. We're just looking but at this history. was February. This is February 12. We, the crop wasn't even planted yet. That was a big thing, you know, the time when you need to spread. So all these things. I think we all become better traders because of that. And one last point before we move on about the corn and the buying in replacement costs. I remember those calls with Tyson or whoever, and, you know, oh, you're bidding 70 over now. Well, I sold you 40. It's going to cost 30 cents. Oh, no, 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 wait. Replacement's a buck ten. And so, again, you know, passing that on down to your 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 farmer customers you're eating that and i don't think a lot of folks out here uh, specifically producers realize that uh that's usually one of the services they get from their locals is that kind of thing right there some insulation from that. insulation or yeah. the ability to roll or whatever we couldn't we were eating that no stuff. Yeah. we have so we have to maintain a customer relationship right and we build long-term working relationships yes. when you get in the commercial grain trade everybody puts their big boy pants on and, and they know the cost and the risks, and nobody's your friend. Yeah, you've got relationships. You may go take a guy to dinner, or he may take you to dinner, and you may trade with him forever and ever and ever. But when, it's, when, it, when, when, when things go south, um, specifically like when feces hits a fan would be a terminology thing there, with a little different verbiage, um, then it, things nobody's your friend. And I remember hanging out there by myself, and I had no friends. Nobody was bailing me out. I had to figure this out on my own. Um, and yeah, you know, they're posted 70 over. And you're saying, hey, I want to cancel there. And it's like, oh, no, it's 120 over. And you're thinking, how in the world? NGFA trade rules have got to protect me. Bad news, guys. Those things protect who's right, <laughs> not who's wrong. And I was in the wrong. I was short. and I, I, yeah. It was where I was. Um, and it's all about buying in. And, it, you know, if you put yourself in their shoes, if they were going to make a margin on that corn, say they're a reseller, and they're going to make a dime on this trade. And then they have to go buy you in. They should buy it, make another dime or whatever their generic margin is. And so they're padding it a lot more than that. Um, and so you had to go find it yourself. A lot of people folded, you know, not, not not folded as in went broke, but a lot of people just threw their hands up in the air and said, just screw it, buy it in for me. I wasn't willing to take that. Um, well, we partially because you had so many bushels sold, you, you know, some people could eat. Ah, it's a 50,000 bushel sale. I guess I'll, I'll have to eat it. But when you got a lot of bushels sold, yeah. you, you you get creative, and that's what you did, and you went and found it in Iowa and all that all that stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. I made the mistake there too of of trading a lot of corn with only a handful of people. But it's a small market, you know. It wasn't. It was. I would say it was mature. Uh, things have changed since then, but there wasn't fifteen or twenty. This isn't like Cargill Blair where there's you know a bunch of different people trades in and out of there. This Springdale corn market at that time there was like two resellers, you know. Um, really, and a couple of end users would buy direct, but that was it. Most people all went through a broker uh, or or a reseller, and you didn't have the 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 flexibility of trading to fifteen different companies and finding somebody out there who was didn't know the market, right. so to speak. Right. Yeah. So that that's a good uh, discussion of the past here. So shift gears and talk about the future you know that that's one of the things everybody wants to see you brought up you know usda and corn prices but we're, we're, we're jokingly we want to keep that a little distant sure. still yet uh, despite randy's uh, you know 
desire to watch the world burn. Uh, we want to talk about what do you think about what's going to happen in the future? I know we, we talked about the 10 years, what, what changes are going to happen in 10 years in green business or the country elevator business. Let's say two years, three years, five, whatever right. you think. What's going to happen tomorrow? I think that you're going to continue seeing some consolidation. That's that's going to happen. But at some point, it'll turn around, right? I mean, like farmland, you know, they got big, got big, got big, and then boom, it all changed. And I don't know that that's going to happen. I hope not because we don't want anybody to go broke. I don't even want my competitors to go broke. It makes it tough on all of us if somebody right. has a tough time. Um, I want to be smart and know what the market is and, and bid it correctly. But I think that you're going to continue to see consolidation up to a point. Um, farmers are going to probably get bigger because it's economies of scale and efficiencies. Um, I don't know what our next cash crop is. You know, there, there, there's some buzzwords out there, hemp, CBD, medical marijuana, whatnot. It's interesting. Um, I'm excited for that. Not because I'm some hippie or, or, you know, something like that. I'm just looking at it from a, I want to get in early, you know, um, I want to get there where we can make some money, whether that's processing or the inputs or, what it is financing is kind of goofy with that stuff right now um but you are a hippie you're just that's just not why you're into it no absolutely i'm not a hippie i don't oh Oh, no okay okay. i'm not i'm not a hippie or a hipster as although roger could be confused with one of those just a PETA member just your standard PETA member (laughs) right yeah i'm all for no that's not true um You know, I think that him, there's people are always looking for a new cash crop. You know, a few years ago around here, canola was a thing, and it they were trying to do that. And I actually replaced some bin floors because they needed to be replaced. And when asked, I put the smallest perforation I could without totally killing my airflow because I thought if there's ever a new seed that comes around that's small, I don't want to have to have issues with it falling through the floor or something like that. Um, but, you know, canola didn't work out. It just it, it didn't quite work out here. Um I think, you know, we, we're seeing some different products. There, I don't know, five or ten years ago, we saw a big push on waxy corn. And then you're seeing some non-GMO stuff, although that's pretty well played out. And I wouldn't say it's played out. It's just saturated, uh, organic. There's a little bit of that stuff for us to get involved in that market. Um, canola, like I said. Um, personally, I mean. Some you, popcorn getting yeah. around? What would you say personally? Personally, you, you have been known to get into the hog market occasionally. Yeah, from time to time I'll go long, long, uh, long feeders and and, and short pork bellies. Um, (laughs) It's a whole hedge in itself, there, Jason. Um, We, um, I think canola or not canola. I think hemp, CBD, that whole marijuana thing. Whether you call it marijuana or hemp, I think that's going to things are going to happen there. There's too much steam behind it already. Um, Unfortunately, Kansas as a state's pretty low or far behind. I guess Missouri's doing some things better. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to keep a really good eye on that because I want to I want to see where we get there, where that how that thing plays out. Um, I think that the public perception of it is much more accommodating now than it was even three, four years ago. Um, you know, not that we're going to have a bunch of people out there smoking weed, but there's a new cash crop and every, we should partake in it. Um, I don't know what else will come around. You know, there's always something. That, that will come in, go out type of thing. We're going to have the, in this area, we have guys that, you know, one year everybody sells their wheat drills. I'm never planting wheat again. It sprouted last year. I had aflatoxin or vomitoxin or whatnot, 40-pound wheat. They sell their wheat drills. Wheat goes to six bucks. Everybody's planting wheat in two years. Um, those cyclical things will continue to happen. Corn-bean ratio is probably going to be pretty close to the same. Nobody's really willing to sit out there and say I'm planting all beans or all corn. But 
As far as new cash crops, I don't know. I mean, I, I have to say that hemp's probably one of them. There may be something else. You know, there's some of these ancient grains that are getting a little traction. It's just that they don't have the infrastructure there. That the, there's you have to have a contract before you go out there and plant that kind of thing. Um, but I don't, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. Well, what do you see with uh, lately? We've everybody's been buzz buzzwording about disruptors and things like that. Have you guys seen any around this area? The the newer newer oh, yeah. folks. So like, I mean, specifically like kind of the online marketing sure. programs and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. yeah that I don't, I can't understand what the sustainability of that business model is because it just doesn't make sense to me. Now, granted, they've got a hell of a lot more money than I've got. Uh, they have deep pockets and they're willing to spend some, some serious resources there. But we had a company that called a customer last year and paid him 30 cents more for wheat delivered into our elevator than what we were posted. Customer calls and said, "Hey, is this real?" I said, "I have no idea, but if they're willing to pay you that, you should probably take it." I don't even know who these guys are. I mean, now you would know. Um, it's a, it's a play on like a kind of a color. Oh yeah, thing. yeah. The, um, the top top of the fifty disruptors this year. Yeah, right. Um, Tip and, top. And so, yeah, there there you go. They um, they paid him thirty cents more. So then, like a couple of days later, some merchandiser doesn't really know. Seemed like he didn't know what was going on. Calls and says he needs to sell us some wheat. Okay, you know, obviously we kind of know about this, and I'm not too excited about inviting a whole bunch of new people in our market that don't don't really have a game plan here. We paid him our posted bid, didn't push it, didn't didn't take anything out of it, paid him posted. The farmer brought the weed in, took a little bit for him to get paid, a couple months. He finally got paid, but that's it. That's the end of the deal. So why pay that thirty cent premium? It wasn't that we didn't segregate that weed we didn't do anything with it it was nothing special doesn't not make sense you cannot afford to do those things uh, it's a, a complete loss for them that, that's it um so we're seeing some of that you know from a co-op perspective as a whole we see internet sales and internet marketing as a big thing and you either get on board or, or you can get left behind um agronomy is huge you know internet sales of chemicals is killing the little guy um those generic chemicals out there, they have no support behind them. There's no, there's, you know, in seed, you have replant policies. And in chemical, a lot of times you have respray or reapplication things through the branded products. But these generics, they don't give you that. And so you don't necessarily know all the time what you're buying. It's Chinese product, maybe. It doesn't, it's four pound versus the local guys quoting you five or six. And it's kind of a different thing. And most of the farmers know that. They're not dumb. These guys are managing million-dollar businesses, multi-million dollar, tens of millions in some cases. They're not idiots. They're doing the thing that they think is best for their farm. Unfortunately, it's impacting the local communities in some ways. And we'll adapt. It's not the end of the world. Not mad at anybody about it. It is what it is. Um, had we gotten out there and started doing Internet chemical sales 10 years ago, I'd be saying it's the best thing ever. But it's, you know, it's a position I've got. Um as far as the grain merchandising, yeah, I think that obviously phone apps, people are getting them. If you don't have one, you got to get one. Um, it's probably not the most important thing on your list today. You want to be able to dump it 30,000 bushel an hour as opposed to 20. I get that. But these things are things that we all have to be doing. We have to have customer uh, portals, and, and a lot of people already do. But it's tweaking those, making them more efficient for, for the farmer, younger farmers, millennials. Don't value the the relationship, so to speak, as much as the older guys do. But I think that they do have they do put some value on it. And I think that when things go bad and they have questions, they want to speak to somebody face to face. And that's where we we are. Now do you think you know that brings up a good question. Do you think the younger folks 
aren't loyal or they just haven't been in long enough to develop those loyal relationships? Um, I don't want to say they're not loyal. I want to say that they want to make their own name. And in making their own name, they're going to buck the trend from time to time. And that's their idea is I'm going to do this a little different. Let's, you know, I'm going to try something else. And you can't fault them for that. You know, um, you can't do the same thing you've always done forever and expect a different outcome. Um, so it's not that they're not loyal. It's just that they're trying new things. The technology that's available to them is different than what their dad had or their grandpa or their uncle or whoever it is. I mean, think about this. Technology is so much different today than it was 10 years ago. Um, 20 years ago is a whole different story. We didn't, I didn't even have a cell phone a long time. I mean, you know, internet was a weird deal. We were all quoting off a DTN machine. Um, things have changed. I was quoting off a DTN machine less than 20 years ago. Okay, so we're we're to the point in the episode where we're going to get to the really uh, important things. And uh, now, Bryce, it's widely known that you've killed a lot of animals, harvested over, over over time, harvested a lot of animals over time. What is next on your hit list? Um, well, I am going to as far as well, I'm going fishing next week into Canada, which I've never done before. Back up way up there, we're float planning in the whole nine yards, do it yourself type of stuff. So, you know, people don't think of harvesting or hunting fish, but we're going to do that. Um, and then elk hunting, you know, in, in 1st of September, I'll go out to Colorado, out to the western states and uh, go elk hunting. So I'm hopefully, you know, we'll uh, harvest something out there. I like to say harvest as opposed to kill or murder or anything like that. You, know, you like I to stalk the elk before. You know, is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I want to I want to be a predator. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Mhm. They're not a defenseless animal, contrary to some of your beliefs, you hippie. Um they do <laughs> He's have a keen here. sense of smell and sight and 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 hearing. Uh you're in their world, you know. This is a foreign place to me. Being out in the mountains, it's the density of air is a lot less, so I'm in a significant disadvantage. Um it reminds it's conser- me a lot about squirrel hunting. In Except for that hunting, fire stick you got. Look, there. guys, hunting is conservation. Whether you think of, of it or not, I'm a conservationist first, then a hunter. Right? I'm not trying to kill everything. I want to. I want the herd and population to grow and grow and grow. Yeah. And if you leave it un- un- unattended to, you're going to have issues. And you need hunters. They're a vital part of the, of the uh, ecosystem. E- there you go. So what dead animal head would you like to really have on your wall that you don't? A moose. There we go. Hey, you just so happen to have a dog named Moose. You you used to have at the the, the old elevator when we walked in. There was a, a massive uh, hog head yeah. up there. Yeah, yeah. Where'd you where'd you take that? Where'd you harvest that one? There you go. Um, that was done south of Dallas, a place called around Corsicana, Texas. Story for another day. Um, meant to shoot that with a bow. Didn't work out that well. Ended up, the guy I was with handed me a knife, and I'll never do it again. So Not, nothing against hog hunting. Twice. Nothing against hog. I've done that twice. <laughs> nothing against hog hunting, um, but the, the situation, as it were, had no kids, wasn't married. Um, now I have people that depend on me. <laughs> And I'm not going to put myself in that kind of situation ever again. That sounds pretty smart. So last question here. We're going to wrap it up, and we thank you for your time. But uh, I've been told that you are uh, helping to design and manufacture your own line of camouflage swimwear. 
Is this true, and when can we expect to see it? Oh my God! Well, you're um, <laughs> yeah, you're mistaken there. Um, I think you've got me confused with with uh, some other Bryce Elnicky. Um, uh, I don't I don't wear swimwear, Roger. Um, I, Skinny dipper, nudist, eh? right? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, there we go. Now the there's a know. backstory to that. I know where you're coming. I know what you're trying to do there, and I'm not playing. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. All right, Bryce. We appreciate you taking time with us today. We we've thoroughly enjoyed this. Our first ever on the site uh, visit to to record the podcast. But we appreciate your time and your experiences. And in the future. Uh, you write words in the air with fingers. And no, I was just saying um, that, you know, I really appreciate you guys, um, you know, having me out here and um, it's, uh, I guess, having me on this podcast. It's a pleasure. I've listened to a lot of podcasts, never been on one before. Um, it's fun. I enjoy it. I, I think that, you know, white commercial, like I said, and I don't know if it was this one or the previous one is, the biggest misnomer, I suppose, or not misnomer, but unknown in the grain business, um, where all the knowledge is and the amount of help and resources that are at everyone's fingertips. Um, I know I wouldn't be where I am. My family wouldn't be as successful as they've been without white commercial, uh, Don white, John Warner, Phil, you guys, um, Tracy, all of them, you know, uh, reared and everybody. Have, have been extremely useful and helpful to us. And um, anybody that needs to learn anything about the grain business, first stop should be white commercial. That's not a shameless plug or anything. It's just the truth. No, we didn't even ask you to say that. We appreciate you saying that. Um, but anyways, obviously we uh, we enjoy getting to sit down with you. And I, I did want to say right here a, a thanks to Bryce since we're throwing out thank yous. Bryce has uh, helped me get onto the Facebook group, Grain Market Discussion, and it has been hysterical. Don't do that one. That's a bad one. <laughs> Dude. Lots of bad information. Uh, really? Well, it's good to... to uh, I've, I've taken screen captures of it and then posted it on Twitter uh, after blocking out names or whatever, and then uh, let Ag Twitter uh, have, have some fun with it. So that, that's been fun. And uh, as always, reach out to us on Twitter, the elevator's cut does not have a Facebook account because, and it will never because such great high level conversation happens on ag Twitter. We've, we've elected to go there, but anyways, at elevators cut to reach out to us and at weevil hog and at hog wheeler, uh, for, for Roger and I's personal one, Bryce, you, you got a Twitter account. I, you want to put do. on? I do. I don't even know what my handle is. Yeah, I don't either. I, I don't know if it's B L Nikki or Bryce L Nikki or what it is, but, I do have one, but I will say this. Producers Co-op does have a Facebook page. Hey, now. Um, there we go. Yeah, there you go. Producers Co-op. Gerard, I think. Um, and our website, pcacoop.com. There you awesome. are. So if you're in southeast Kansas, need anything to do with agriculture, give Bryce and his team a call. Yeah, he'll give you a $4 push on any grain sold. Not true. For, mentioning, for mentioning the elevator's cut. Not true. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, just use code elevators cut at checkout and <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, the royalties will come this way and Randy will go waste them on something. But anyways, here we are at the end of our podcast. I promised you we were there. Um, thanks for listening. 
subscribe, like, share us with your friends, rate us, all that stuff. And, uh, and we look forward to making more of these in the future, and we hope you come back. So for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevator's Cut. Out.